Good morning, guys. Welcome to Eastlake. We're so glad you're here today. If this is your first time, it's a great day to come check us out. My name is Brent, teaching pastor here. We are on week two of a series we're calling Guardrails. If at any point I say something that's interesting that you want to re-listen to or get caught up on last week or you can't make the next few weeks, um, there's a website you can go to, eastlaketricities.com slash talks. There we post all of our series, including this one, and usually this talks up by like Tuesday or so. But I want to start off today by uh, talking about a couple of questions that will, I think, identify a little bit the direction that we're headed. Question number one is simply this. <clears throat> Have you ever met somebody you wish you never met? <laughs> and you're like, I married them and they're here with me today. Yes. Um, question number two is this. Um, has your ex ever met somebody that you wish that they'd never met? That's a little close to home for some of us. Uh, it might not apply to everybody. But, um, and then lastly, and this is going to apply to, again, a smaller group of people, but this is so true. This will help us. Has your high school daughter ever met somebody you wish that they'd never met? Um, today we're going to be talking about guardrails in, in, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to other people, when it comes to the relationships that we have and what we should expect and, and who we find ourselves uh, surrounded with. Uh, people are often times linked to our... If I was to ask you, what's your greatest regret in life? A lot of times we did not do those things alone. People are often linked to our greatest regret. And the funny thing about it is it's not people who are our enemies. It's typically people who are our friends, <laughs> people that we chose to be around. Um, we, uh, because we let our guard down when we're amongst our friends and we find ourselves making dumb decisions. This has been a series looking back on some of life's biggest regrets and thinking about, man, if only I had had some sort of guardrail to protect me from, find, from making that decision or doing that thing or um, that something or someone that, that ended up happening uh, and I, that I wish I could go back on. And what if, because we can look at it and be like, I wish I could have that from my past, but what if in the future we could protect ourselves from going off into the ditch in, in life, financially, relationally, um, through our, professionally through our work, um, or whatever, uh, what if there were some guardrails in place? And so that's been the concept of guardrails. We know about guardrails. Everybody's kind of familiar with them. You drove probably by some today. They're usually metal barriers along the side of a road over uh, bridges uh, near cliffs or, or protect us from other oncoming traffic on the freeway. Um, guardrails are simply a system that's been designed to keep vehicles from strain into dangerous or off-limits areas. Um, guardrails are never placed in the, the sa- in the danger area. They're always placed in a safe area, meaning this. Um, there are, there's, they are placed and in, in, installed on real estate that is drivable. You could essentially, if the, if the guardrails were gone, you could go another six inches or another three feet or whatever. But nobody ever argues against, you know, with the Washington State DOT about that um, because we, we understand it's protecting us from something that's far more dangerous. And so if you, and they're designed to minimize damage, that's number three, because um, when you hit a guardrail, there will be damage done to your vehicle. But the concept is it is far less damage than uh, if you had taken and gone past that guardrail and into that danger zone. You may have to go to an auto body shop, but you may not have to go to a hospital, all because of guardrails. Now, this isn't a uh, class on defensive driving. Um, this is a, 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 you came here trying to figure out what does scripture have to say about life and what does God want me to do with my life and all that kind of stuff. And so um, as a result of that, uh, we can understand that uh, the, the purpose of this series is why, you know, why are we talking about any of this? Because the highway isn't the only place that needs guardrails. Perhaps, perhaps our life would be better that we would be able to avoid, uh, or we could, uh, we could have avoided previous wrecks in our life if we had had guardrails, perhaps we can avoid them if we can establish some, some significant and some intentional guardrails when it comes to life. So I, we redefined guardrails last week. Here's the brand new definition, the operating definition for this series. 
Guardrails are simply personal standards of behavior, personal because it's, I make the, this decision for myself, personal standards of behavior that become matters of conscience. For other people, it may not affect their conscience. They might be able to do this with ultimate freedom and not feel guilty about it at all. I am choosing to kind of, because I know what it leads to, because I know that one thing oftentimes leads to another, and I don't want to end up in that one thing leads to another, one thing leads to another, and then and then that happened. I don't want that. And it's not because I'm a Christian. I just don't want that in my life, right? Um, and so how do I back that up just a little bit more? And I'm going to choose to put a guardrail right here that's not for everybody. This is not a prescriptive for everybody. But for me, as I look back on my life, as I consider where I've come from, or the phrase that we use, as I, as I look back and think about my past experiences in life and my current circumstances, where I'm at, my, my, or, my family origin, like what, what kind of my, my habits and my associates have led me to this, and then my current circumstances and my future hopes and dreams and what I want my life to look like. What's a healthy guardrail for me in this area? And it might change based on what season of life I'm in too. Now that I'm married, I need a better guardrail in this area. Uh, previously when I was single, I didn't have that guardrail, but now I need to because I want to protect this marriage and I don't want my marriage ending up in a ditch. So uh, today, again, uh, relationally, there are some guardrails that I think are important for us. So we're going to be talking about your friends and your associates. I say friends because you typically choose your friends. A lot of times when it comes to associates, it's just people you find yourself um, doing life with, whether it's like a neighborhood. Um, you're, you didn't choose your neighbors, probably. Um, you just kind of went and took cookies into them. And, and your workplace um, associates, you did not probably choose your employees that you work with unless you're the boss. But a lot of times we find ourselves in kind of a working environment and these are my coworkers and I just have to do this. And I can't choose uh, them. I, I can't, I, I can't uh, decide not to hang out with them because this is where it's at. This is what I have to do. Um, so how do I have healthy boundaries and healthier standards when I go in this area? So um, first off, let's talk about the friends because um, here's the funny thing about friends. The thing that makes friends so engaging and friendships so great is the exact same thing that makes friendships so dangerous. The thing that makes friendships so great is also the thing that makes it so dangerous. The beautiful part about friendships is when I am amongst friends, I'm able to let my guard down a little bit more. I'm able to be me a little bit more, and you too. There are certain groups of friends. We, we just started this long-term group with, with some friends, and, and um, we, we've meet to, met together. And it's funny, like the first three to six months of every group that I've ever been into, everybody's still kind of like, you know, testing the waters and figuring this thing out. And then at some point, and I don't know what it is, everybody begins to kind of let their guard down. And you, you don't have, awkward silences don't take place as much. You begin to work well. You begin to open up about who you are, and people know your, your history and what you've been working with and what you've been working through. And it's just a lot easier. And, and, that idea, friendships allow you to let your guard down. That's what makes friendships so great. It's also the very exact same thing that makes them so dangerous because when you've let your guard down, you find yourself maybe possibly doing things that you would not have done had you been on your guard. You found, when you think back on some of your biggest regrets in life, you did not do them with your enemies. You did them with your friends. It was oftentimes a friend. You probably smoked your first cigarette with a friend. You did not do it in isolation. Your first drink of alcohol, right, when you were 15, 16, 14, whatever it is, however old you were, it was probably not just you. It was probably, hey, look what I found. My dad keeps it in the cupboard. You want to try? Well, you know, you seem like an honest friend. Let's just, you know, you, you don't think through those kind of things, but you find yourself with people, typically friends. The reason we're attracted to certain people is because we're all acceptance magnets. Here's what I mean by that. We reject people 
who reject us. We are repelled by people who reject us, and we are drawn almost unconditionally towards people who accept us. We are acceptance magnets. When people like us, we like them, and we tell ourselves, they're just likable people. They're just so likable. I like them a lot. Why? Because I'm consumed with myself, and they seem to like me. And so if you lead with acceptance, it's funny how you begin to be a likable person. And when I'm with people who accept me, I drop my guard. When I'm with people who accept me, I drop my guard. And and as a result, acceptance leads to influence. When my guard is down, I am more likely to be influenced to do something than if my guard was up. When I'm with my enemies, my guard is up. I'm very careful at who I am and the sort of uh, reputation I'm trying to keep and the image that I'm trying to keep. When I'm with my friends, it's a little bit less so. When I'm in an environment where I'm completely accepted, I am most open to the influence of the people around me. And you are most open to the influence of the people around you when you are with people who accept you for who you are. Your greatest regrets, again, do not revolve around being with your enemies. My guess is that your greatest regrets and my greatest regrets revolve around being with my friends. Some of the most addictive behaviors that we've acquired were initially done in the community of friends, which is what has led uh, people like me, especially when I was doing youth ministry, to talk about this constantly, to have this sort of life principle has been kind of one of my core teachings for a long time, and it's shown up in various series, and so I bring it up today. But again, but our friends influence the direction and the quality of our lives. Our friends influence the direction and the quality of our lives. They don't, I, I almost had determined on our friends determined, um, but that, that feels a little bit, maybe like, ah, I don't know about that. So influ- but everybody would be open to the idea that they influence me. That when I'm with my friends, I become, I talk like them, I dress like them, I make decisions like them. And it's not something that we decide. You did not decide, I'm going to choose to allow, great news, friend, you're going to now influence me. You've never said that with a friend. You don't have to. It would be awkward to bring it up. But it's just a life principle, and it can work for you or against you in this way. Our friends influence the direction and the quality of our lives. Now, as I'm writing this and thinking through this, I think back on uh, friendships that I had growing up, uh, friendships in high school and junior high for me, and I found the irony in the fact that I grew up, my high school and junior high friends primarily grew up pre and I'm dating myself, but pre-Facebook, not pre-internet, not that old, but pre-Facebook where the, 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 uh, like the, there's like low standards of privacy. And it's not like, again, we're not being pulled. This is like super uh, evident in even the media right now with Mark Zuckerberg testifying before Congress. Like we did not force people to give all this information about themselves, right? They just self-voluntarily did this. They just decided it. Listen, I grew up in an environment where you had to, if you wanted to know about my friends, my parents had to ask me about my friends. Hey, tell me about your friend from school, right? And the beauty about that is I controlled the narrative about what was said about my friends. They didn't know them. There was no, I'm going to Google their name. I'm going to go on Facebook. I'm going to go on MySpace or Instagram and read this. It was all, they had to trust me and I was able to control the narrative. So I would say things like, well, he's just really, really, really smart, which means I cheat off of him in class, and he's a pretty good liar. Um, I would say, oh, I think she goes to a different youth group, which is my way of saying she's hot. I really don't think she goes to another youth group, but I want to say that because I don't want you to say I can't take her to homecoming. So she goes to another youth group, Mom. It's okay. Um, I would say things like, oh, he's super entrepreneurial. It means he, deal, he deals drugs, um, and he's, he's got a business going on with this. Um, or, oh, he's really into organic chemistry, which is he smokes pot a lot, right? That's... 
That's how, but I could control it. I could be able to say it. And now with the advent of all of this social media, listen, parents nowadays have electronic, electronic surveillance system for every kid. You, you can go on. You don't even have to ask your kids what their friends are like anymore. You just get on your computer, fire it on up, and you can figure out, and then you can lead the narrative. You can be like, hey, pull out your phone and be like, um, so tell me. Does he collect, you know, all of these things? Does he uh, is, explain this photo to me? Why does he collect glass pipes? Because I'm super interested. Is he, is he like way into that, or does he create them? Well, how do, how does this work, right? You can lead with this. I, I and and for those of you who are like in my window of age, and I'm not gonna, the gray hair throws people off. But if you grew up in an era where your parents did not have it, but you have it for your kids. Can you imagine a better era to grow up in as a parent right now? Every kid that my, my daughter, now she's only 10 right now, but as soon as she starts getting into that, you know, boys are kind of cute, they're not icky anymore, and um, you know, I'm going to go over and have sleepovers at my friend's house, and she's a friend from school, and you don't know her, I'll be like, great, what's her name? Immediately go to Google. You know what I mean? Like, this is going to happen. It's a fantastic era to be alive in, you guys. We made it. We did it. We timed it. Couldn't have timed it any more perfectly right now. And at that point, then I can uh, decide which, uh, as a parent, until I don't know what age they, they get, I can decide kind of, or at least have an influence over which kid my kid spends time with. And I can be like, you know what? I don't want you to do this. I don't want you to, to spend time. Because my parents, my parents would do this. They would say, I don't really like him influencing you. So they would protect, you know, you can spend time with him, but not with him or whatever. And, you know, you can kind of sometimes get around it in that way. But and it feels, it comes across almost as judgmental. Like, I'd be like, Mom, quit being so judgmental. Um, and she would be like, there's a difference between being judgmental and operating with wise judgment. You know, and exercising wise judgment in life. I don't think this is smart for you. Judgmental is, that kid's an idiot, and he's not going to influence you, and I can't believe his parents, blah, 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 blah. That's not right. That is judgmental. You shouldn't go that route. But what she's saying is, she would look at me and be like, I don't know that you have the personal level of boundaries to be able to not be affected by his... Now, she would not say it in that way. She would just say, you're not hanging out with him. But I'm exercising good judgment for you in hopes that you learn to discern exercising good judgment for yourself. That, there's a huge difference there. I'm going to talk today about why I think it's important for you to exercise good judgment when it comes to relationships, not to be judgmental with others. Listen, Christians are already way too good at this, right? And we're, it's already something that we're kind of, it feels like we're known for, right? Part of the thing that comes with being a Christian. Do you believe in the resurrection of Christ? Yes. Are you willing to be judgmental? Yes. Here's your Christian card. There you go. You carry it around with you at all times and make sure that people on Facebook know that you are very judgmental. I think this is wrong for you and you and you and you and you. Have very pointed fingers. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying for, for me, I want to be the type of person who exercises good judgments. And I'm not telling you how you should live your life. I'm just telling you, I don't think it's good for me to be in a spot where that, because of, and by the way, that doesn't mean like we can't be friends and, and whatever, but it means that I need to very much check myself in terms of how much influence I'm allowing you to have in my life. Because of my past, and it has nothing to do with you. It's, it's my past experiences, it's my current circumstances, and it's my future and hopes and dreams that we need to get that. So, because our friends determine uh, the direction of quality of our lives, we need guardrails relationally. Now, if you're not really like a religious person and somebody like uh, promised to buy you lunch afterwards and so you came or whatever, that's so great. We're so glad that you're here. Um, I, and if it, I've, I've been on this side of things too where if I was to present a Bible verse right now and be like, here's why we don't do this, because the Bible says so, 
um, and you don't hold the Bible to have any moral authority in your life, then I'm, it's, I'm, it, the reasoning doesn't work out, right? So I do think that there is a piece of scripture that speaks to this. We'll get to that in a minute. But before we do, let me just talk to you from a like secular science standpoint, okay? There's an article written by a guy named Moran Cerf. He's a neurobiologist at Northwestern University. There's uh, an article that he wrote. I'm going to include, it's in the notes. So if you type notes to 97,000 on your phone, um, you will see kind of a link to it and you can read the whole thing. I'm gonna save you about 30 minutes of time and kind of summarize it. I'm gonna do the Cliff Notes version for you uh, right here. Here's what he says from a biology standpoint in terms of how our friends affect and influence who we are and who we become. He leads with a thesis. Here's the thesis of the entire argument. Then he's going to build, a, build kind of a statements to justify it and then do a summary statement. The hypothesis is this. The surest way to maximize happiness has nothing to do with personal experiences. And by the way, we're all on a happiness quest, whether you're religious or not religious. Everyone is in it to what, is this going to make me happy? If I buy this, it's going to make me happy. If we marry, are we, am, I, am I going to be happy? If we have these kids, if we move to this place, if I take this new job, am I going to be more happy or less happy with my life? as a result of it. That is the filter by which we evaluate almost all decisions in today. Uh, so the surest way to maximize happiness, so this should be relevant for us, has nothing to do with personal experiences, meaning if I go do this, it's going to make me happy. Material goods, or if I acquire this, that's going to make me happy. Or personal philosophy. It's all about who you spend time with. It's all about who you spend time with. So this is a big thing. He's trying to say, what I'm about to talk about is important if you are on a happiness quest. You need to hear this. Then he comes up with what are called three premises or th three things that um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address them and show them. If, if all of them are intriguing, and I just don't have the time to kind of provide all the support material for it, but here's, here's what he basically says. Number one is this. Your brain operates in a way that decision-making is tiring, our brain is forced with multiple thousands of decisions every single day, and so our brain unconsciously makes shortcuts for itself. You think, I think that I'm choosing to lift up this cup and drink, but in reality, it's just become a habit for me. Many times I'm drinking something and I don't even realize that I am. Or have you ever gotten in a car and, and turned on the radio and like 20 minutes later, you're in your driveway and you, you don't even, I don't remember driving here. Like if something happened, I would be like, whoa, and I'm driving. But for the most part, you just put it in reverse and then you're backing out and you're there and, until you get in park. And you didn't, I knew you chose to do it, but you didn't choose to do it. Does that make sense? Your brain is tired of making lots of decisions. It'll do what it takes to be more efficient to create shortcuts because I, I, I'm trying to avoid having to make, I, I can't, I don't have the mental capacity to do all of it. So how do I minimize? There's a great book called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg that talks about this in detail. Number two is this. Decision-making is loaded with biases that cloud our judgment. Your decision-making, my decision-making, is loaded with biases that cloud our judgment. In other words, we oftentimes think that we chose something independently when really we were dependent on someone or something to make that decision for us. Salesmen know this. Car salesmen know this especially. We think, boy, I, I got a chance. I researched all the stuff. I showed up at the dealership and I chose this car out of 100, right? And this, this, <laughs> this car salesman was smart enough to be able to do some research or, or talk to you about what you value and what you're looking for and had one parked out in front, right in front. As soon as you pulled in, it was the very first car you saw. And you thought, you know what? That looks like a decent car. I think I'll go check that out. And you think you chose it independently. And he is happy to let you think that you chose it independently. 
and not see the manipulative effects as a result. It's called marketing. It's what everybody does. That's fine. But you are not as independent as you think that you are. You are heavily more influenced by so many things around you and manipulated that we don't even realize it. And we're in the business of making shortcuts. So that's just how life works. Number three is that when two people are in each other's company, their brainwaves will begin to align themselves. And this is where it gets a little bit esoteric and this is a little bit out there and you gotta be like, oh, there's, there's so much resources in this. But you, you kind of know this. When two people are around each other, especially for any length of time, literally, he says, he, this is what he argues, their brainwaves begin to see things the same way. Now, if you've ever been around somebody who's been married for 30 years or more and it feels like they finish each other's phrases or know exactly what each other want or think in the same way or whatever. You've seen this. Now, this is also very dangerous because you probably want to look around you and be like, who am I sitting next to and who did I drive here with? Am I okay that they're, am I aligned? Am I okay to align myself with the way that they think? That may be um, not, not great for you. I don't know. But as a result of all of those things, so we're looking for shortcuts, we're not as independent as we thought, and our brainwaves begin to think about the people that we surround ourselves with. Here's his conclusion. If people want to maximize happiness and minimize stress, which is all of us, that's exactly what we want to do. We didn't even know that that's what we'd get at church this morning, but that's what we want. They should build a life that requires fewer decisions by surrounding yourself with people who embody the traits that you prefer. This is what you should do. Surround yourself with people who identify or who embody the traits that you prefer, which is why you signed up for CrossFit. Not because it was close to your house. Not it was because it was so cheap. Because when you were there, you took one class because it was free, and they knew if you can come in and see that everybody pushes each other, and it's like this little cult, and you can't stop talking about how you do CrossFit, and you're also starting to be a vegan, and all this kind of stuff, you got, it, it, it's just a matter of how short is the time from when I meet you to, to, to you telling me you do CrossFit. It, it's getting ever-presently shorter, right? And, and, and because of the environment, because of the social pressure of finishing, you know that if it was just me in the gym, I would not do 50 box jumps. I would convince myself that my knees can't handle 50, probably 20, maybe 15. You know what? Who does box jumps anyways? I don't need to be in this. I, I, or leaving early. I'll just get done early. But then you, you know, you know, you know what I want to do. I will pay to surround myself with people who are thinking the things that, that, that are, are the ways that I want to think and doing the things that I want to do. Over time, you'll naturally pick up those desirable attitudes and behaviors. Listen, what he's saying here is this is just automatic. You do not have to decide to do this. It's already being done for you, whether you like it or not. And it works in both directions. It can work for you or it can work against you. Your future will be influenced and impacted by those you find yourself in community with. Now, the beautiful thing about this is I think that there's also a scriptural basis for this that precedes this study, which was done in 2017, by about 3,000 years. There's a guy named Solomon who uh, wrote a collection of kind of wise proverbs and sayings that was collected a, a long time ago in the Old Testament that comes to be known as the book of Proverbs. Now, the thing you need to know about Proverbs is Proverbs was in, uh, originally designed to be sort of a take-home curriculum for all parents to be able to raise their sons and their daughters in this way. Jewish, Jewish fathers and mothers would have this collection of things to be like, we, they didn't have public schools. It wasn't, well, you know, you drop your kid off, we'll make sure that they learn all the basics of what it's going to take to succeed in life. They didn't have that. So what they had was this book that was like, everybody trains their kid in this way. And one of the Proverbs shows up in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20, and it illustrates this exact same principle. This is not new stuff. This was already in place. This is already a principle of life for so long. Here's what it says. Walk with the wise and become wise. 
Walk with the wise. We said walk was a way of doing life. Here, this is the promise. If you walk with wise people, it's amazing how you find yourself making wise decisions. And wisdom, if I can define it for you, as uh, we defined it a little bit last week, is the ability to see the interconnectedness of, of life. Wisdom is being able to see that my decisions in the past have led me to where I am today, and the decisions that I make now affect my future. Operating with a lack of wisdom is not understanding that the decisions I make today have an influence and affect what I'm going to do in the future. And wisdom is contagious. So here's a promise. It's followed up with a warning, but it starts off with a promise. If you choose to walk yourself or walk with wise people, you will find yourself being wise. And then comes the warning, for, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Or it says here, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Now, you would expect this to say, but uh, follow a fool and you'll become foolish. But a companion, companion of fools becomes foolish. But that's not what it says, is it? In this sense, what he's saying, the, the author is trying to insinuate this idea that this is not a promise now. We've gone into a warning. The warning is this. If you find yourself surrounded by people who are making foolish decisions, again, foolish decisions are the, is the, foolishness is the inability to see how my past affects my current circumstances and the decisions that I make today affect my future. Um, it's, uh, we, we mentioned last week that it's epitomized in every Pitbull song ever, right? I don't have m- enough m- rent money for this month, but you know what? I'm going to live it up at the club tonight because tonight's all that there is. Any song that's like, all we have is tonight. I always listen to that being like, stupid, foolish, dumb, don't listen to that. And the beat's good, but don't really think that because it's a dumb way to live. It's a really foolish way to live. Now, he says this. Here's the warning if you, a companion of fools suffers harm. In other words, simply being in the proximity of those who are living this way can cause harm for you. Even if you say, well, I'm not going to choose to think like that, or I'm not going to do any of those things. According to this proverb, that really doesn't matter all that much. A companion of fools suffers harm. Simply being in proximity affects you in that way. Think about it in this way. Your friends who aren't careful with their lives, what makes you think that they'll be careful with yours? Friends who aren't careful with their marriage or don't care about their marriage, what makes you think that they're going to be careful with your marriage? Friends who aren't careful with their finances, would you ever trust them with your finances? I had a buddy who graduated college with unspeakable amount of debt. Just kind of, I mean, I, I know you go to college, you're trying to balance the education thing, but he just was never smart with finances on multiple levels, and it was just fully evidenced in school debt. And he came out and he attempted to do, one of those guys who attempts, like he's super entrepreneurial. He's going one direction. He talked to him six months later. We kind of distanced ourselves after college, but every once in a while we keep in touch. And now he's selling this and now he's doing this and now I'm doing this and now I'm doing this. And one of the adventures was I'm going to become a financial advisor. And I was like, dude, I, really? And I was like, in, in my mind, I wanted to be like, do you, why would anybody trust you with their finances when you haven't been smart, I mean, I feel like that's kind of a non-negotiable. You've got to be able to have kind of success in that area for yourself. 
or target people who don't know you. I guess you could do that. I mean, that's definitely a pathway. But for those of you who know you, I just don't see how it's happening. Now, as I'm talking about all of these things, and as you reflect on your life, there are probably faces showing up in your life. Your greatest regrets come with people you surround yourself with, your decisions that you found yourself making, your lack of boundaries or guardrails in certain areas led you to kind of go down this road. And it's typically people who, and this isn't a blame thing. You don't say, well, it's their fault that I did this. No, I did it. Um, but I, I don't give enough credit or validity to the idea that they had an influence on this. And I feel like I wouldn't make that decision in the future. I won't make the decision in the future. So this relationship's okay. I can kind of keep these things going on. And you talk to people who are coming out of massive um, lives that are like, they, they, they identify like, my life is in the ditch, man. I got to come out and I got to change a few things about maybe where I live and who I hang around with and who I allow to speak into my life. That's one of the things they lead with because they realize, like these are names that influence me to do this. This, these are people. The point of a guardrail is to light up our consciences before we veer into that danger zone. So in light of that, I want to propose a few guardrails when it comes to relationships. Now, here's the problem with always proposing guardrails. As I've mentioned previously, these are personal convictions. So this, uh, these may not apply to you. This may be a safe zone for you, and there still may be lots of safety zone before a guardrail needs to be in place. You do not have to take these. This is not biblical. You'd be like, Brent, that's not biblical. You're right. It's just Brent. All it is is Brent who has sat across from more coffee tables than you have, having conversations with people who are pulling their lives out of the ditch and wish that they had had better boundaries and guardrails in place beforehand. Okay, that's all this is. So uh, I'm going to give you five. You might like three of them. You might like two of them. You may be really nice to me and be like, that one was really great. That's fine. I'm good with that too. Number one, relational guardrails. Your conscience should light up when it dawns on you that your core group of friends isn't moving in the direction that you want your life to be moving. Every one of us has kind of a core group of friends. Y'all have thousands of friends on Facebook because you're so cool, right? Um, you know maybe half of them. And then I'm not talking about even that half. I'm talking about the small core group of friends that you find yourself doing life with day in and day out. When that core group of friends is doing life in a way and in a direction, they're leading you in a direction that you're like, eh, I don't know if I want to do that. But, um, you know, that doesn't mean we can't be friends. No, it doesn't. It just means that your conscience should light up when that core group of friends isn't moving the direction that you want your life to be moving. Number two, you, your conscience should light up uh, when you catch yourself pretending to be somebody other than who you know that you are. If you find yourself doing things, saying things, going along with things out of a pursuit of acceptance rather than being true to who you are, that should be a sign that there needs to be a better boundary in place. If you find yourself saying, when I'm with this group of people, I have a tendency to ignore some values. I'm usually like this, but when I'm with them, it's a little bit differently. When you find yourself nodding outwardly, yeah, that sounds a great idea, but inwardly going, this is, I can't believe we're doing this. What are we doing? When you are around them, when you have people, when you have people in your life who you value their opinion and they say, when you're around them, you're just a different person. Like, I don't, I'm, I, I'm glad that you guys were high school buddies and stuff, but when you come home from going out to drinks with him, like, you're just different. There's something different about you. You should probably be careful about how much space and how much influence you allow him or her to have 
in your life. Number three, when you feel pressure to compromise, when there's pressure there to compromise, when something for you has never really been a temptation, but all of a sudden it's become a live option, when all of a sudden something that was never like really a thing, but now you're kind of considering it, now you're trying to work out an excuse or come up with a phrase or reasoning in case you get caught for why this was important, there's probably something wrong with that. Number four, when you catch yourself thinking, oh, I'll go, but I won't participate. <laughs> when you're a high school student, you think that this is going to work. Oh, mom, it's okay. I'm going to go, but don't worry. It's cool. It's like this, I'm so mature. I will not participate. It didn't work when you were in high school. It never did, right? Um, because, and you know this because now that you're a parent and you have kids and they say the same thing to you, you realize the silliness of how it sounds. And you're like, that's not going to work. And yet, somehow, between those two gaps, we live with this season of our life where we we're not telling our parents anymore because you know, they're not in that position of moral authority over us, but we find ourselves telling ourselves this. We're not telling our parents anymore. We're telling ourselves, you know what? I'm going to go, but it's okay. I won't participate in that way. That's just, listen, this is not a thing about right and wrong. This series from the very beginning has never been about come here and I'll tell you what's all right with the world and what's bad with the world and we'll go from there. I'm telling you, you need to operate in wisdom. The point of this whole series is how do I live wisely in this way? Is it, would it be, would it be wrong of me to go? No, good, then I'll go. It might be not right for you to go. And that's a wisdom decision. It's not always about what's black and white and what's true. Sometimes it's about operating wisely. You watch, you watch this video. Babe, do these stretchy pants look good on me? There's a difference between saying what's true and being wise in those moments, gents. Do you understand what I'm saying there? I think you do. You should. Number five, when, the ho when you hope the people you care about most don't know where you've been or who you've been with, your conscience should light up. If you find yourself and you're trying to hide your tracks a little bit, you're deleting the browser history, you're not answering the phone call, you're turning the phone off, you're undoing the GPS, you're coming up with a game to try and explain the circumstances about why you were there. When you're thinking in the moment, how do I sell this? How do I paint this in a better light? Come on, is it wrong that you're there? Maybe not. Would you ever, but I'll never go and do that. I'll never go off into the ditch. I know, I know, I know. But you keep riding, you keep getting close to that guardrail. You're, you're still in the safety zone. I get it. But you're awfully close to the edge. And I just don't want you to ruin something really good. Far better, far better to have a guardrail in place. And if this feels very insulating to you, if this feels very judgmental, I, I, I know that, that was my worry about this whole message was that it does, it feels like it comes across a little bit as, um, you know, we, well, we create this little Christian box and we come and we only, listen, you should only have Christian friends and you should only do this. And that's not, that's not at all what I'm saying. And I, I'm not saying that you can't be friends with a, a certain person who you know is a bad influence on you. I'm just saying your conscience should light up in this way that, that, that perhaps um, we oftentimes think um, well, it's okay because I need to be a positive influence for them. I'm doing this for their good. 
we're dating because I could probably bring her to church at some point. Now, come on, face up to your reality. Last week we had this, and one of the verses was like face up to, like be honest with yourself, face up to reality. You want this relationship because she's hot, all right? Down the list at some point is I could possibly bring her to church as long as Brent, you don't screw it up for me and whatever. But that's but you you we lead with this. We bump that up so high, and we're not really truly honest with ourselves about why we're doing this. Never confuse compassion. Oh, I'm doing this for them with wisdom. The two are not mutually exclusive, and there's no conflict between compassion and wisdom. There's no conflict. You are called, we are called to operate wisely when it comes to our relationships. Why? because it has a significant influence over the direction and the quality of our lives. And you don't need the Bible to tell you that. We, we looked at how that's just true in general. Yet, how ironic that for 3,000 years, this evidence has been there the entire time. If only we would take it, open it up, look at it, and begin to implement it for ourselves. Proverbs 13, 20. Once again, I close with this. Walk with the wise, become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. Our friends influence the direction and the quality of our lives. So what do you do when you didn't choose your friends? What, what do you do when it is an environment where I didn't choose this, I find myself in this, I work with these people? Then you have got to be so intentional about making sure that you find yourself in some sort of a community with people who are heading in the core direction of what you want, that you are aware of the possibility of the influence of these, uh, of, the, of your coworkers, of people who you know <coughs> are not going in the direction that you want it to go. Don't quit your job. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying operate wisely with that and recognize the effects of it, and be intentional. Be intentional about choosing friendships that lead you the direction that you want to go. Walk with the wise, become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. We all need boundaries and guardrails when it comes to relationships. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> we... Uh, we can see the effects of this in our life. We didn't need a Bible verse to be able to like realize this, but um, we are so, uh, I think, challenged in, in this direction because it does feel difficult. It does feel like um, a, a little bit judgy in this way. I, I pray that you would help us to understand the difference between being judgmental and operating with wise judgment and understanding that you've called us to be the type of people who walk with the wise so that we can become wise, seeing the connectedness of our life, making decisions that reflect your image in us. Give us the wisdom to know what that looks like in our life, the courage to act on it. In your name, amen.